take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 22, 22nd Psalm this morning. Psalm chapter 22 is our text today. Um, If you remember, uh, last week I talked about, uh, we learned that there were some retailers that entered the Christmas season all the way back in July. Uh, Started promoting the Christmas products and their sales all the way back in July. They then made mention how Kevin got us into the Christmas music uh, I know the choir was practicing before this, but officially here at church, the last Wednesday of November, we entered that, and then last Sunday, we've entered into the Christmas messages. And uh, by the way, with that music, uh, Christy showed me, we have put it in the calendar, in the church calendar, in July, we will have a Sunday of Christmas music, all right? Uh, we talked about it, we only sing it once a year, and it's too, it's sad because there's such great messages in those songs. Can you imagine the first time visitor that Sunday morning, they come in without any type of uh, warning and all of a sudden, joy to the world in the middle of July, and, uh, but we'll give some explanation after that, but we're in the Christmas season now, and my goal in these series of messages throughout the month of December is to piggyback off of what we've been Going through already, we've been preaching through the book of Psalms, uh, taking a different psalm each week. Our theme is, has been, this is my story, this is my psalm. Learning a little bit about that psalm, what's the background of that psalm, and, and then making some applications to us today. Well, this month, month of December, we're looking at Christ in the psalms. Seeing where Christ is highlighted. As I mentioned last week, we do not typically look at the Psalms as being prophetic. But there are many Psalms that we would consider messianic. We see Jesus, we see the Messiah, we see the Christ highlighted through various Psalms. They don't always mention his first coming as a baby or what we would consider Christmas Psalms. But like like many of the Christmas songs that we sing, it goes beyond that, not just his birth, but his reign, about his throne, about his kingdom. And so we're going to spend some time looking at various psalms throughout this month that highlight the Messiah, that highlight Jesus Christ. And our psalm for today is Psalm 22. Many consider this psalm to be the pinnacle of the psalms. Uh, Many have called it holy ground when you're reading it. We know the human author is King David. And in our study, we've attempted to look at each psalm and give you some background that's going on in the life of that author. And sometimes it's very clear. We recently studied a psalm, and the superscription of that psalm said that uh, David was in a cave, hiding when Saul was after him. So it was very clear of when that time of his life, when he penned those words, Sometimes we can just take portions of that psalm and say, okay, we believe that it was during this time. It's an educated guess. But as I've studied Psalm 22, as I've read others, there's not many guesses of when this is in David's life. To be honest with you, it's not that, it seems like that many don't care when it is in David's life. Because as we'll read it today, we'll realize that the subject matter is not David. Although we know David wrote it, we're not sure when it is. It could have been during his early years, during his middle years as a king. It could have been in his, the, re, the, the, the latter years of his life. We're, cert, we're not certain. But we do know this, it's about Jesus Christ. 
David is not the highlight of this psalm. I read this to you last week. Let me read it again to you. This is what Charles Spurgeon said of Psalm 22. He says, David and his afflictions may be here in a very modified sense. But as the star is concealed by the light of the sun, he who sees Jesus will probably neither see or care to see David. And then I wrote this in my margin of my Bible several years ago. According to, uh, uh, based on Psalm 22 and reading this, some would say that Jesus quoted David hundreds of years later. I prefer to say that David quoted Jesus hundreds of years before. We're going to see some words today that we will see in the New Testament, Jesus making those statements. And again, many will say, well, Jesus was quoting David, and I look at it the other way. Jesus, or excuse me, David was quoting Jesus hundreds of years before that would take place. It's true that some type of suffering is going on in the life of David that he's writing about, but it's obvious that God intended for Jesus Christ to be the great subject of this psalm. The psalm is broken down into two sections. Verses 1 through 21, we'll see the sufferings of Christ. In verses 22 to 31, we'll see the glories of Christ. I'm going to read all 31 verses. I encourage you to follow along carefully with me. And look at those. You'll see the sufferings of Christ, and then you'll see a transition in this psalm as we go into the glories of Christ. Let's begin in verse number one. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season... And am not silent, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip and they shake the head saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured, poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, hasty to, to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, and from the power of the dog. 
Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from, from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye the seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. My praise shall be of thee and the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's. He is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and none can live uh, can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born that he hath done this. Father, I pray now as we look into this passage for just a few moments, we consider what we've read today, God, that you would guide and direct us. Lord, that you would work and minister in our hearts today. Lord, I pray for those here today that, Lord, may do not, maybe do not know you as their Savior, have never been born again, have never been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ through faith. I pray that today, Lord, you would work in their hearts and draw them to you, and they would see their need and receive Christ as their Savior. For those that are saved, God, but perhaps you're working in their life I pray, God, that they would be obedient to you today and listen to the calling that you've placed upon them, Lord. And Lord, for all that's accomplished, we'll give you the glory and the thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen. The sufferings of Christ and the glories of Christ. I could say this today, and it'd be, it's very true, the glories of Christ would not have existed without the sufferings of Christ. His glory would not have been recognized or seen without the sufferings of Christ. The sufferings of Christ were necessary. They were ordained of God. I do not want to take much focus away from Jesus Christ this morning, but it is true, church, that God allows sufferings in our lives. He permits suffering in our lives, oftentimes so we can just enjoy and experience the glories that come from them. You may go through a trial, you may go through a difficulty, some of you are still going through some physical difficulties, those are trials, those are sufferings, but oh, we look forward to the glories behind them. This past Friday, we had a funeral service here. We had a funeral service for a lady that went for seven and a half years battling cancer. We prayed for her healing many times. And in this life, we did not see that. But I guarantee you today, Gina Jello is enjoying the glories with her Lord and her Savior today. She's experiencing that. And so whether we recognize them in this life or in the life to come, we go through these sufferings so that we can enjoy the glories of Christ. Many years ago now, my oldest son, during his 
senior year of high school in his soccer season, towards the end of the soccer season, uh, had a collision with another player from the other team, and my son's leg was broken, uh, broken right in the middle of his shin there. It was a, one of those gruesome injuries. Uh, the tibia and the fibula, am I saying that right, Dr. Stinnett? I know the doctors there, they were saying, oh, it's a tib-fib broke, break. It's a tib-fib. And uh, they're going to nail it, they said. I said, what in the world does that mean? And they, they nailed a rod down his leg. And they said, they're going to literally take a hammer. And I said, I don't want to hear anymore. I don't want to hear anymore what you're going to do. But that's what they were going to do. And so my son, uh, at the end of his soccer season, breaks his leg. Uh, required surgery the next day and then a long recovery period and rehab and he's missing basketball. That's his favorite sport. It's not his best sport, but it was his favorite sport and uh, he wanted to play basketball his senior year and not going to get that opportunity. And so he, towards the end of January, is completing therapy and they're trying to get mobility back in that leg and so forth. And he did. He was 18 years old, but he looked like a, a hobbled man. And, but his basketball coach said, Titus, you're, you're back at school walking now. He goes, dress tomorrow night. Here's your uniform, dress, and just be on the bench with us. And so that was, that was a nice gesture. And they did. They put him in his uniform. He was on the bench and the team did not do well that night, and they were getting beat by probably 20 points. And so in the last minute, they put Titus in the game. Not that he could do anything. He just he, he hobbled out there, and they put him in there, and he got a standing ovation from the crowd. They all knew what had happened, and that was, that was touching. I remember I was in the stands crying and just thinking about this, and, and uh, that, was a, that was a blessing. And so then the next game, they're, they're doing really well, and it's towards the end of the game, and they're winning by 15 or 20 points. And so the players go to the coach, put Titus in so we can, we'll get him a shot. Maybe he can score in his senior year. And, and, and so they did. They put him in. They said, stay over here. He's about 15 feet away from the, and they ran a play, and, and they reversed it to Titus, and he took the shot, and I was like, oh, no. And he swished it, nothing but net. And the crowd went crazy. And then they did it again. They shot again. And I was like, no, don't. It was luck the first time, I thought. And, and he swished it again, and the crowd went nuts. And so he started going to practice, and the coach is like, hey, you're doing good. I think you can help us in the tournament. He says, I'm going to start you the next game. And so on that third game... In the first quarter, in the first minute, he's out there, and there's a loose ball, and he dives for the ball. Yeah, you know where this is going, right? <laughs> a guy dives on top of him. There's a scruffle, and all of a sudden, I see Titus come up holding his hand. He's like, it's broken. <laughs> I, mean, I hit the bleachers like, you got to be kidding me. I couldn't believe it, and I watch him walk across to the coach, and the coach just looked at me. He's like, calm down, Dad. And I went in there, and his hand, you know where your thumb goes like this? His thumb didn't go like that anymore. It was way down here. Like, yeah. It got smashed and knocked right out of joint. We're taking, I'm taking him to the hospital that night, and, and uh, he said, he goes, Dad, this hurts worse than my leg. And he was just aching and hurting. And we went into the emergency room and 
She said, what can I do for you guys? My son holds up his hand. She's like, oh, okay. And she gets him over there. And, and so we're in the, the ER waiting, and they take x-rays and everything. And um, the doctor comes, and he goes, hey, he goes, I know this hurts really bad. He goes, it's out of joint. Nothing's torn. There's nothing broken. It's just not where it belongs, obviously. And he goes, Titus, what I have to do is going to hurt 10 times more than what you're feeling right now. But I promise you, when I get it back where it belongs, it's going to feel better. And he says, I've already told everybody you're going to scream and uh, it's going to be loud. Just let it out and, and, and let me get this back into joint. And Ty says, just do whatever you have to, have to do. And so I'm holding his left hand or he's holding my hand with his left hand and I'm not watching what's going to happen. I'm watching my son's face and and that doctor gets down there and he gets up underneath it and he shoves it in there. And my son is screaming. He's like, oh, it feels so much better. <laughs> and he, he just fell back in his chair. He's like, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I mean, once it got back there, there was a lot of suffering. But when it got to where it needed to be, there was some relief. There was some glory I know many of you are going through sufferings. And someone this morning just tell me, starting some more sufferings, there's glory to follow. Be patient. Don't give up. Trust God. Follow God. Believe God. I've said this many times. You're either in a trial, just coming out of a trial, or getting ready to go into a trial. This life, this sin-cursed world we live in is made up of sufferings. But we follow God, we trust God. Let me give you a verse to think on. Romans 8.18 It says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. There will come a time when you get on the other side of this and you're like, it does not even compare to what the glory shall be in us. Now this morning, I want to consider the sufferings of Christ out of this passage of Scripture. And we could look at many of these quotes. We don't have time to look at all of them today, so I'm only going to consider one of them with you. Look at verse 1 and 2 of chapter 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the roaring of my, uh, words of my roaring? O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. Does that sound familiar to you? It is, isn't it? Look, go with me to Matthew chapter 27. Look at Matthew 27. The subject matter in Matthew 27 is Jesus Christ. He's on the cross. According to verse 45, he's in the sixth hour. It's noontime. That's the Jewish clock, the sixth hour, and it's noon, our time. And notice in verse 46, in about the ninth hour, three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Look at verse 45 again with me real quick. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. 
sixth hour is noon, the ninth hour is 3 p.m. And yet there's darkness over all the land. We don't know if that just meant in the area of Judea right around there or if that was global. I tend to believe it was global, that there was darkness upon the earth at this time from noon to three. And the question is, why? And it was during this time that while Jesus was on the cross, that an act took place where the sins of man were removed from man and they were placed upon Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, He that knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He that was holy, he that had never sinned, he that had never had a bad thought, a, a foul word, that had never done anything wrong, suddenly became sin. And when that happened, God turned his back upon his son. God, who was holy, could no longer look upon his son. And Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? Why have you not looked upon me? God turned his back on his son because he had become sin. God could no longer look at his son because he had become sin. And Jesus cries out, And do you notice there's not an answer or a response in either Psalms 22 or in the book of Matthew or Mark where this account is shared with us? There's no response. Is there anything more painful to be rejected by someone that loved you? Charles Spurgeon said this about this passage of Scripture. He says, Methinks I hear the Father say to Christ, My son, I forsake thee, because thou standest in the sinner's stead. As thou art holy, just, and true, I never would forsake thee. I would never turn away from thee. For even as a man thou hast been holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners, but on thy head doth rest the guilt of every penitent transferred from him to thee, and thou must expiate it by thy blood. Because thou standest in the sinner's stead, I will not look at thee till thou hast borne the full weight of my vengeance. Then I will exalt thee on high, far above all principalities and powers. Did you get that? God rejected Jesus because he stood in our stead. I'd like you to get personal for just a moment and in your own mind, you think about your own life. You think about who you are and what you've done, all the foul and wicked things of our life that we've done, Jesus took upon him that day. Don't think about your neighbor. Don't think about someone worse than you. Think about yourself today. And Christ took that upon himself on that day in our stead. Now the physical sufferings of Jesus are almost unimaginable. The death of the cross was devised by the Romans to inflict as much pain as possible while extending the life of the perpetrator as long as possible. They wanted that individual to suffer. They wanted him to suffocate. They wanted him to be asphyxiated. They wanted him to be hurt. 
But those sufferings of the physical pain do not compare to my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Do not compare to he that was holy becoming sin for us. Without a doubt, the greatest sufferings of Christ was when he was rejected by God. The sufferings of Christ, and he did that for us. Again, today, Jesus, it was our sin that nailed him to the cross. It was our sin that placed him there. He paid the penalty for our sin. There's many other sufferings that are mentioned in Psalm 22. I'd encourage you to again go through it uh, later today and think about all that Christ went through. But let's move to the latter part of this chapter and consider the glories of Christ. Starting in verse number 22, you see the whole tone changes uh, in this latter half. And David, although again he was suffering in some fashion as he began to pen this psalm, by verse 22 we see that David knows that he's not writing of himself. Take note of how he addresses the Lord. He says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye seed of Israel. David recognizes that he's not even writing of himself. And because of the sufferings of Jesus Christ, David speaks, I'm certain of many things here, but notice two things that he mentions here in this passage of Scripture he speaks of declaring and praising the Lord's name. Again in verse 22, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. By the way, according to Revelation chapter 4 verse 11, this will be the practice of heaven. Uh, we will worship, we will exalt, we will extol the name of Jesus while we are in heaven. That's what heaven is all about. It's about worship. It's about exalting our Lord, our great God. Does not mean, though, we can't start practicing right now and live a life of declaring the goodness of God and praising the name of God. To declare means to, uh, 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 to uh, and praise the name of Jesus means to celebrate him. And to praise him means to show him. The literal meaning of that word praise is to shine and to show off. And so we are to uh, uh, celebrate and to show forth Jesus Christ. Yesterday, um, Rachel and Elisa, they had a portion of their Sunday school, first and second graders, came over our house for a Christmas party yesterday. I went upstairs during that time uh, I went to my room. She, just a portion of the class came over because they had a contest uh, who could bring their Bible the most. And I think it was between two teams. And, and when they were introducing this contest, they said, hey, we could do something fun. You guys have any ideas? And one of the first or second graders raised their hand, we could go to Paris. And um, uh, uh, I'll let you parents wonder which kid that was. Uh, but one of them wanted to do that. So how about we do something here, like have a party or something? And they did. And so I got a text yesterday after several or a couple hours of loud 
celebrations downstairs, and I got a text from Rachel. I thought she was going to say, come rescue me, but it said, uh, could you come down and judge uh, a contest? The kids made gingerbread houses. And I went down there, and I went and looked at the one team's first, and, and they're like all sticking their hands out. Here it is. We did this, and, and, and they went this way, and they were declaring. They were, look what we did. And I went to the other team, and they're like, well, we did this one. And there was declaration, and there was praise over what they had just done. As I watched that, they were certainly excited about it. And there was a certainty amongst each team. Of course, it was ours that was the best. And I had to make my decision, and, and I chose the one team, and the other team, oh, good for them. But you know, there was that, that, that idea there of initially this excitement and certainty as they were very descriptive in what they had done. And that's the idea with our Lord. We present. I want to share with you what the Lord has done for me. Let me tell you what the Lord has. Let me say how good he's been to me. That's the idea. I've gone through my sufferings, but now let me tell you how good God has been. You've been through sufferings before, haven't you? Isn't it good to get on the other side of it where you can now start to brag on your Lord and his faithfulness, his goodness, that he never left you nor forsook you? Oh, there were some times when you were like, God, where are you? Where, what, what's, what's, what, what are you allowing us in my life? But then we get to the other side of it and we're like, oh, you were always there. You were good. You were faithful. And it's good for us to see the Lord, our Lord, go through these difficulties and come through the other side. As we consider the birth of Jesus his sinless life, his sacrificial death, becoming sin for us, his miraculous resurrection, his ascension to heaven, and the promise of his soon return. Let us declare and praise. Let us celebrate and make a show of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you say this today with me, church, that he's worthy of it? He deserves it. We could not ever praise him enough. We could never say enough about him, but he is worthy of every bit of it. And so in this Christmas season, let's exalt, let's worship, let's declare, let's praise what Jesus Christ has done for us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today? Jan is going to come in just a moment, play a verse of invitation for us today. Perhaps you're here today and you've never, never received the gift of salvation. God's provided it through His Son, Jesus, to pay a penalty that you and I could never pay in our own selves. We were sinners and our sins separated us from God. And the only way we could be made right with God is through what Jesus did for us. He was in our stead. He took our place. God rejected him because of our sin. And if you're here today, still in your sin, 
you're separated from God, but you don't have to be. Jesus paid the penalty for you. And all you must do today is put your faith and trust in the work of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. Repent of your sins, turn from your sins, and turn to Jesus today. We'd love to share more with you about that, take you through the scriptures, show you the plan of salvation, and show you how you can have everlasting life today, eternal life with our Lord and our Savior. Make sure that heaven's your home. Christian, you're going through some trials today, through some difficulties today? Hang in there. There's glory at the end of them. Go through those trials and difficulties, trusting God, believing God, and then experience the glories of the Lord that follow. Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to listen to the working and drawing uh, in our hearts today that the Holy Spirit is doing. Lord, if there's someone here that does not know Christ as their Savior, Lord, that today they would turn to you. Lord, if there's someone here today going through the difficulties and trials of this life, may they trust you. Get through them and experience the glories of the Lord. So, Lord, take this invitation, these few moments, and use them for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, would you stand this morning? As Jana begins to play this first verse of this invitation, if the Lord's dealing in your heart, the altar's available. There at your pew, there's people here that would pray with you if you need someone to be obedient to the Lord this morning during this invitation moment. been dealing with you about a specific matter now would be a time to come and surrender that to the Lord perhaps church membership baptism come and talk to someone this morning get these things settled today